that are in person and welcome those of you who are online with us this morning. And if you don't know who I am, my name is Ronnie Sasaki, and I'm one of the guest speakers here at Kesed. And I always consider it such a privilege and an honor and, and a joy to be able to share with you what God has placed on my heart. We've been in a series the last couple weeks, and then we'll continue in it throughout the holidays. It's called From Now Until Forever. And it's all about capturing the moments in time that matter the most. Last week, Danny focused on anxiety and worry. The title of my sermon today is From Complaint to Contentment. We're going to take a look at what, how we show up when things just don't go the way we wish they had. Either everything falls apart Something goes wrong, or what I find is so often the case is the people that we love the most just don't behave the way we wish they would. <laughs> so what do we do in those situations? Well, we're going to talk about that today, and we're going we're to open up the Word of God and see what He has to say about this. So let's go ahead and begin with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just are so grateful to be able to, to come together and worship You, praise You, Open the Bible and learn. Receive everything that you have for us. Jesus, I ask that you that we all have open hearts and maybe just a little bit of fun today as well, Lord. We dedicate this service to you and are ready for everything that you have for us. In your holy name, amen. Here's what I've noticed about moments in time that we want to capture. Sometimes they come out of nowhere. Like that moment that Dave told us about when he was downtown Portland and all of a sudden he heard somebody singing a song that had great meaning to him. And then there's other moments in time that we plan, sometimes a year out, sometimes even longer out. Well, this fall has been filled with many moments that my family has wanted to capture. Back in September, my, my daughter got married. And we began planning her wedding a year in advance. Now, it, when we started planning it and picking the venue and all the kind of stuff that you have to do way early, we were right in the middle of all that was COVID. But we thought, oh, no problem. A year from now, we will no longer be dealing with any of this stuff, right? <laughs> well, lo and behold, as the weeks began to um, roll along leading up to the wedding, new mandates, new regulations, and we were just holding our breath that everything would be okay and we would be able to have the wedding. And I can tell you, it was absolutely perfect. All the planning, all of the, the selections and preparations, everything just came together exactly the way we wanted, and it was just a beautiful time for my family. And I brought a, I brought a picture of a wedding to share with you guys. Aw, isn't that sweet? But I think there's a person in everybody's family, you know that one person, that when you're trying to get a group photo or a family picture, they refuse to cooperate. You think that the people could just stand there just for a couple seconds, put on a smile so we could get the pictures done quickly. In my family, it's my husband. Never wants to smile just right for a picture. He's always got to kind of be the goofy guy. In fact, check out this picture from my wedding. There you have it, right? There's always one in every family, and in my family, it's my husband. But one of the other moments that we've celebrated a lot this month is our 33rd anniversary. 
And people that know us know that that is nothing short of a miracle that we have stayed married that long. Just to give you an idea of the differences in us is my husband's really an extreme version of the class clown, and I am sort of an extreme version of the serious student. And somehow we came together and we've made it work all of these years. I have a picture to show you of us in one of those moments. Beautiful moment at my daughter's wedding where everything is seemingly perfect. But you've got to know the story behind this picture because there's always a story, isn't there, of those moments that we capture. There's, there's something that kind of goes on behind the scenes that leads up to that. And in this picture, the wedding was over. The reception had barely even begun. There was no dancing going on. People were just milling around. The DJ had begun to play a nice song, and I was just mingling with the guests, and my, my husband grabs my hand, and he says, come on, let's dance. No. I mean, first of all, I think I'm probably one of the world's worst dancers, and because of that, I feel very self-conscious, and nobody else was dancing. I said, it's not time to dance yet. We can't. And he says, no, come on, I want to dance. And he drug me out there and began to move and, and force me to dance. And I was just dying. And I'm behind this smile. I'm going, I don't want to be here. <laughs> Everybody's staring at us. They're going to think we are weird. And I guess the good thing is, is we were the mother and the father of the bride. So we were allowed to be a little bit weird on the day of our daughter's wedding. But this kind of gives you an idea of the difference between my husband and I. He's the one that will dance and doesn't care what anybody thinks or if anybody's watching. I'm the one who's like, oh my goodness, <laughs> you know, I don't want to do this because what will people think? You know, I should have been aware before I married him that, that we would have these, you know, these conflicts, right? But I wasn't. But I quickly learned shortly after our wedding what I was in for. Because you see, here's what happened on the day I got married. This earth-shattering event, above the law, came out on video. Now, some of you are looking at me very blankly because you have no idea what above the law is, and I'm surprised by that. But here it is. Above the law is a movie. The star is a guy named Steven Seagal, who is like this martial arts expert Aikido guy. He does all these fancy moves, and of course the movie is full of violence and shoot him up and slam him down and break their arm and do all those kinds of stuff that my husband loves because he's a martial artist. We had already seen the movie in the theater. But lo and behold, on the day of our wedding, it was released in video. So he went out and rented it. Now some of you don't even know what renting a movie means, but... Back in the olden days, there were stores with video cassettes that you could rent and go take them home, put them in your VCR, and watch them. So my husband did that on our wedding day. He thought for sure that sometime during the day, he would have time to watch his now favorite movie. And you can only imagine that, of course, he had no time to watch it. Goodness, we were getting married. But after the wedding, on the way to the hotel, which, by the way, was the Hilton in downtown Portland. We had a friend who was a manager, and so for the price of a regular room, he got us the Alexander Suite. It's like the presidential suite on the very top floor. It takes up half of the upstairs. There were like 16 rooms, a grand piano, like three TVs. So we're in the elevator going up to the top floor. The bellboys got all of our bags. We're clearly newlyweds. 
And my husband is in the elevator going, do they have a VCR in the room? We really need a VCR. <laughs> I'm glad you guys got it. <laughs> I wanted to crawl underneath the baggage and hide in the corner. And I wanted to holler at the guy, the reason we need a VCR is so we can watch above the law. Really, I'm telling you the truth. The kid is going, well, sir, I really don't know. I don't know if there's any VCRs in the room, but if there isn't, here's who you need to call. So the minute we get into the room, my husband begins to run from room to room, and sure enough, no VCRs. So he gets on the phone and begins to call engineering, um, the front desk, housekeeping, even room service, saying, you guys got any VCRs? Man, we have got to get a hold of a VCR tonight, right now. Can you even imagine the rumors going around the hotel? Hey, I wonder what those newlyweds in the Alexander Suite need a VCR for. <sighs> well, again, needless to say, we did not get to watch the movie on that night. But it's okay, because the very next day, we were staying there for two nights, we drove home and got our own VCR and brought it back to the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> the problem was is the, the cables would not connect our VCR to the hotel television sets. So once again, my husband is on the phone with every single department in the hotel saying, I've got a VCR now, but I can't seem to connect it to any of your TVs. And the, the answer was, I'm sorry, it's just not going to work. So we did not get to watch the movie on the second night of our married life. By this time, I am convinced that the hotel thinks my husband is crazy, and I'm pretty sure he is indeed crazy. Can we just reverse a few hours and go back before the wedding and start this whole thing all over? I wasn't really sure, but it's okay because we were going to Hawaii, and we had rented a condo in Hawaii. And we knew that there would be a VCR in that condo. Well, we got there, opened up the door, and the first thing we noticed that the place was a complete dive. I had been planning my honeymoon for years. I had a vision of exactly how it should be. When we opened the door, the place was just old, and there were cockroaches. There was a fan that didn't work, and it was really hot. There were two single beds, and you guessed it, not a VCR in the room. And that's okay, because my husband got in the car, and he drove to the nearest rental shop to rent one only to find out that everyone that they had for rent was checked out already and that the soonest he would be able to get a VCR was on a Wednesday. We got married on a Friday, and it wasn't until Wednesday that he was able to watch the movie Above the Law. And thank goodness he finally had his chance. Things that we plan, <laughs> things that we envision, we want to go a certain way, don't always go the way we want, right? People don't always act the way we want. I brought a couple moments from our honeymoon that I wanted to share with you. Here's one. Now, don't let that smile on my face deceive you once again, because I wasn't very happy, especially with my husband at that particular moment. All I could do was complain. I'm sad to admit. I missed so many moments, because I just didn't think it was the way it should be. And then I brought this next picture just because it's fun. And we're having fun today after all. Now, my kids are always teasing my husband and I about our inability to take good selfies. Um, they call them boomer selfies. 
And um, I'm not really sure what they mean by that. Maybe that we're old and we just don't hold the phone in the right position. But I brought this picture to prove to my children, which one of them is here, and to all of you that my husband and I actually invented the selfie back in 1988. Remember the differences in personalities, right? So my husband goes, come on, Ronnie, come over here, come over here. And I go, what are you doing? He goes, oh, let's take a picture. And he goes, I go, what? He's like, take, take a picture here. Lean in really close. He holds the camera. Now, this is a camera that you've got to put film in, and you don't know what the pictures are going to look like till you take it into one of those photo booth places and you get them developed. So he says, pose here, and he turns the camera around and he snaps the photo. And so we have proof that we invented the selfie. <laughs> now, i got one more picture, just in case you think that after 33 years of marriage, my husband has changed, and he has. Trust me, he has, but check this one out. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I wonder how many moments we miss in life because things just don't go the way we think we sh they should. And we get so distracted and we get so caught up in our stuff. If I had to go back and do it over again, I know that I would have laughed so loudly at the whole thing about the VCR because it would have been so funny to me now if I could just go back and redo it. I mean, there was so much that was good. Who could have even afford to stay in the Alexander suite? I mean, we couldn't then, and we, we still can't now. And there were just lots of other things. We were in Hawaii, for goodness sakes. How can you not have a beautiful time in Hawaii? And I missed so many of these moments. And I think it's, it's very safe to say that many of this room, in this room we experience that same disappointment. We have plans, we have the way we think it should be, and it, and it doesn't look that way at all. So we begin to complain. We begin to gripe, moan and groan. Some of us do it verbally, out loud, so everybody around us knows exactly how we're thinking. And then some of us just do it on the inside where we suck it all in, and then we hope somebody notices how miserable we are, right? Especially during some holiday dinners, if one person suddenly has to do more of the work and they don't know why everybody's not helping them. Has anybody else experienced this besides me? I mean, this is what we face. Well, I think when we have this state of, of dissatisfaction and complaining, definitely leads to discontent. And the Bible teaches us to be content. How do we shift from discontent into content? We're going to look today and see what the Bible does have to say about this. And, and my favorite book is Philippians. And Philippians is just a beautiful letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And this book has been called several different things, but it's, it, three of them are the epistle of excellent things, the epistle of joy, and the epistle of rejoicing. Doesn't it just lift your spirits hearing the words excellent things and joy and rejoicing? And the thing about this whole book is Paul wrote it while he was in prison. And it's filled with all these, these some short verses, and they're very impactful and powerful, and he kind of hits us with one right after the other. And one of them, early on in Philippians 2.14, is this. Do all things without grumbling or disputing 
well, is that even possible? I mean, how can we even do that? I, I know some of us, I don't think we could even have a conversation if we don't grumble and dispute, particularly the last couple years. I mean, we get together and he says, can you believe that? <gasps> can you believe this? <gasps> oh my goodness, what have they done now? And, and we, just, we just go back and forth. Can we even have a conversation without grumbling or disputing? Well, I'm not really sure, but Paul says to do that. Well, then how? My favorite verse in Philippians 4.13 is 4.13. And it says this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, when I first learned this verse in Sunday school when I was just a kid, I thought it was some kind of a superhero verse. I only had one leg, and so I was always trying to do physical things to prove to the other kids that I could do everything just as good as they could. So I took this verse, and I thought it meant... I can do all things like maybe leap tall buildings or run really fast or all these things. And, and even though the, the verse gave me great comfort in the things that I was dealing with at the time, I realized later on that I was taking that verse completely out of context. Because when we back up just a few verses and we begin to re read about what Paul really meant, it is not exactly about leaping tall buildings, although it's pretty darn close when you figure it out. Philippians 4, 11 through 12 says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, when Paul uses this word content in here, it's actually a Greek word, autarkis. Autarkis. I wrote the pronunciation so you guys can practice trying to say it. And it means entirely self-sufficient. You see, it's a, it's a heathen, pagan word, and it, it's meaning that within ourselves, we are constantly striving to reach a state of contentment. Paul uses this specifically to show a contrast between trying to strive for a contentment from within ourselves versus finding that place of contentment within Jesus Christ. Because in verse 413, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, it is impossible to find that state of contentment all on our own. The only way to do it is through Jesus Christ. You see, Philippians 413 it really is a hero verse. But we're not the ones who are heroes doing all these crazy physical tasks. It is God who is the hero that regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, is able to give us a sense of peace and contentment through every single situation. You see, Paul was far from discontent. One could even say that he was truly an expert on what it means to be content. And if ever a person had a right to complain, it was him. If ever a person had a right to grumble, it was him. Those of you who have your Bibles and want to read along, 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28 is a rundown of some of the things that Paul endured during his ministry. Are you ready? Because this is quite a mouthful. Here we go. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews... The 40 lashes less one. That's 39 in case you are not a math wizard. Three times I was beaten with rods. 
Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city. <sighs> okay, keep going. Danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So not only is he dealing with all these horrendous things that he's being put through, he still is worrying and thinking about the churches. Paul was an expert on what it meant to be content, no matter what the circumstances. He knew that contentment didn't matter on the things that were going on around outside us. He knew that contentment was a state of the heart. So let's take a look at an example from the Bible of, of another person who wasn't quite so good at being content. A person who maybe complained just a little bit here and there. Her name is Martha. Now, I love Martha. I feel like I can really relate to her. I think Martha is to women in the Bible what Peter is to men. Martha just blurts out whatever she's thinking, and she lets the chips fall where they may. And then afterwards, you know, tries to clean up the mess. <laughs> and we know that, that she was a good person. First of all, Jesus loved her and her family. John 11:5 says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. You see, Martha had a really nice home, and she would open it up for Jesus and the disciples to be able to come in and have a really awesome meal, and to take a rest. And oftentimes, Jesus would just commune with the people, and it was a very intimate time. So Martha was a really good person, but she tended to complain. So let's, let's begin her story in Luke 10, 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Pause there for just a moment. This sounds so familiar, doesn't it? Does this sound at all like any of our Thanksgiving or Christmas dinners? Just a little tiny bit. <laughs> Says Martha was distracted. Mary, her sister, was sitting with Jesus. She got to have this nice communication and, and time with Jesus. But Martha was distracted. Some say that she was troubled greatly. I say she was just discontent. She was not happy with the situation. It did not look like the way she wanted it to. You see, complaining and grumbling can so easily become a habit. And pretty soon we find that no matter what situation we're in, we just tend to complain and grumble. And I think Martha got caught up in this just a little bit. Her moment was ruined. So what did she do? She marched into the living room and began to complain to Jesus. She even went so far to tell Jesus what to do. In other words, she said, fix it. <laughs> Luke 10, 39 through 41. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. 
you are anxious and troubled about many things. See, Jesus is telling Martha, you're going to miss the moment. And he uses her name in a very loving, reproachful way because he's trying to correct her, but he does still love her. He's calling her out on her stuff in a really delicate, gentle way that really only Jesus could do. He says, Martha, Martha. And it's the same way that he speaks to Simon Peter when they're in the upper room and Jesus is just about to tell Peter, you know what, you are going to deny me three times. And he says in that same loving way, Simon, Simon. And we see him as he he turns to Martha And he wants to teach her so that she doesn't miss it the next time, so that she can capture the moment. In Luke 10.42, he says, But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You see, when we capture the moments that are the most important in our lives, they're ours to keep forever. They can never be taken away. Mary chose to be fully present with Jesus. Martha did not, and she missed it. We have another experience of Martha in the book of John. This is a little bit more of an intense moment because her brother Lazarus has died. Now, the two sisters, Mary and Martha, they had called Jesus to come in hopes that Jesus could heal Lazarus, and Jesus did not show up in time. In fact, he didn't show up until four days after Lazarus' death. So again, we have Martha barging out to Jesus because she's disappointed in him. Furthermore, she continues to tell him what to do as if she's again saying, fix it. John eleven twenty one. 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You see, it's a little different this time. I believe in the first story about the, the, the dinner See, Martha was reaching within herself, her own abilities, her own um, ways to find this state of contentment. Now she's approaching Jesus. Her brother has died. She is completely broken. So even though she's still Martha, she she still blurts everything out just exactly the way she's feeling it. She comes to him in a completely different manner. Rather than relying on her own abilities and her own self, she is now relying on Jesus and the strength that he can now give her in this horrible situation. And when she goes on to tell him to fix it, here's how she does it. She says to him in John eleven twenty two, Even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, Jesus, God will give it to you. And in Martha's complete state of surrender... Jesus does fix it for her. He did not fix it the first time. He teaches her how to surrender. And now he fixes it for her and for many other reasons. Martha surrendered to Jesus. She relied on him and his strength. I don't know about you, but have you ever had those moments where you just complain to Jesus, Lord, if you'd only done this, or you'd, you'd only done that, or if, if they'd have done this, or if they'd have done that, and we cry out to God, and, and you've got to hear the complaints as they just kind of roll off. And I think to myself, is it always wrong to do that? And I don't necessarily
necessarily believe that that is so because I believe that, that Jesus listens to us whatever state we come to him in. But notice the difference between crying out to Jesus because, shoot, I'm just mad. It didn't go the way I wanted it to do. And I'm mad versus, Lord, this is beyond me. And I'm going to surrender to what is, what you have, and by your strength, regardless of the circumstances that I can find that place of contentment. I always wonder what Jesus must think. (laughs) Does he call out your name? Cindy, Cindy. David, David. Sally, Sally. As he guides us and reprimands us in his loving way to surrender to what he has for us. Well, there's three enemies of contentment, as I see it, that oftentimes we as Christians really struggle with. They're fear, pain, and comparison. And I'm going to just stop on that whole word comparison for a moment because not only do we compare ourselves to others, which is a really dangerous place to be. I once heard a speaker who I highly respect say, Curiosity did not kill the cat. Comparison killed the cat. Not only do we compare ourselves to others and and how we think others are doing it better than us, we compare ourselves to the way we think it should be, this vision that I believe that we have inside our heads of how everything should be, whether it's the dinner, the party, the tradition, the gathering, whatever the case may be, the honeymoon, (laughs) the wedding. So I wanted to go back to Paul, back to the book of Philippians, and just maybe learn a little bit more about Paul, who is the expert on contentment, and see what he has to say about how we can overcome these things of fear, pain, and comparison to take us from a state of discontent into that state of contentment. And I think there are three ways that he gives us to turn our habit of complaining into a habit of being satisfied. The first is to rejoice in the Lord. Praise and worship Jesus Christ. Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. The words rejoice and joy appear in the book of Philippians 16 times. Sometimes I get this feeling that we think as Christians that we're not allowed to be happy. We're not allowed to be joyful. Or maybe that we think if we're, if we're new, to Christ, that now that I'm a Christian, everything is just going to work out so hunky-dory. And when it doesn't, we become really disappointed. And we think, how can I rejoice in the Lord when I just don't feel like it? Well, it's because God is worthy of praise. He is worthy of our rejoicing, regardless of how we feel in any given moment. And it is one of the very best ways to create peace and contentment in our lives. So you ask, well, how can I even do this if I don't feel like it? I'm going to give you a way. Open up your Bible to the last five chapters of Psalms. So when you don't feel like it, just read them. And I'm going to give you a sampling right now of some of the verses that are in these these chapters. Psalm 147, praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is becoming. Verse 4, he counts the number of the stars. He gives names to all of them. Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. Verse 7, sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praises to our Lord on the lyre. 
And then chapter 148, verse 1, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Psalm 149, verse 1, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of the godly ones. And then Psalm 150, which is the last chapter in Psalms, verse 1 and 2, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. And then the last verse in Psalms, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. There's something about reading it, saying it, and hearing it. Oh, but wait a minute. Not everybody can hear it. Hey, Jan, I got an idea. Would you teach us how to sign praise the Lord so that we can feel it as well? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so I'm learning too. So this, we didn't do this in any of the other services. Okay, show us what to do. Praise the Lord. Okay, open up your hands big because you're praising everything. Shake them up to God. Praise. Praise. Fill me. Give me. Praise the Lord. Give me. Fill me. Thank you so much. That's lovely. Oh. oh. <laughs> oh. That's how you praise the Lord. It's amazing when we start to get out of our own circumstances and focus on God. It changes the way we feel. Okay, number two. The second tool to combat fear, pain, and comparison is gratitude. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about everything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Thursday is Thanksgiving. And it's a day that we, we take Thanksgiving off the shelf, right? And we apply it to our lives. You know, many of us have a tradition. We sit around the table and we, we share one thing that we're grateful for. I'm here today to say, let's take it off the shelf every day. Let's begin to create a habit of gratitude in our lives because he gives us a promise, he says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, which means it's something we can't even imagine. And he gives it to us. He will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And the third weapon guaranteed to shoot down discontentment is to shift our focus to all that is good from God. Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. I think it gives us such a long list of things that are good to focus on because it gives us such a long list 
of all the things that he had to endure. And then he says, practice these things. So even when it seems seemingly a smaller thing, let's say a dinner party, if we're continually practicing, then when the really difficult things arise, we already have practiced. We too have become experts at a state of contentment. How did Paul put it? He says he was shipwrecked, adrift at sea, in danger. I don't know how many of you may feel that way, but there's a place to arrive at of surrender. I call it that sweet spot. Paul was in prison, and yet he knew he was where God wanted him. It's that sweet spot where we begin to realize that it's so much more than we even can comprehend what God has for us. These moments that we get to capture and hold on to because they're ours to keep. Years ago when my, my kids were just little, like three and six, seven around there, well, it was time to bring out the Christmas tree and put it up, and it was a Saturday afternoon. Now, I have this certain way a Christmas tree should be because I grew up that way. The tree was perfect. All the ornaments matched. It was one of those trees and had no weird bare spots on it. You know, if it did, you turned it around, put it in the back. <laughs> the tree had to be perfect. So I pulled out an artificial tree, which we had at the time, and I began to put it together. And it was, it was an older tree where every limb had to be plugged in to the, to the stem. And so I, it took me a couple hours to put all those limbs in and fluff them all out because I wanted it to look like a real tree. So I bent each one just so. And then after I had the tree all put together, I took a couple more hours to put the lights on. I was the only one in the family who could put the lights on because nobody ever did it as good as I did it. Because I wanted a light to cover every limb so there were no dark spots on the tree. And when I finally got the tree put together and I finally got all the lights on, it was fairly late, and I decided, you know, I'm going to decorate the tree tomorrow. I'm tired and I'm going to go to bed, which is exactly what I did. Well, at 6 o'clock in the morning, I was awakened by three bundles of joy bouncing on my bed. Mommy, Mommy, we have a surprise for you. I'm like, yay, love surprises at 6 o'clock in the morning. Sometime in the night or early in the morning, my kids had gone up. They dragged me into the living room, and they had decorated the tree to about this high. <laughs> the rest of the tree had no decorations on it whatsoever. They were so excited. Look, we did. We're so, we decorated the tree for you. <laughs> it was one of those perfect moments with an imperfect tree and it's something that I get a hold on to forever I was so content in that moment and it was so not me to be I've told you what I'm like right when things don't go my way I complain even on my honeymoon I mean when we went to the rental car agency to get a car and they found out that we had just got married they gave us a red Mustang convertible now, if that's not a gift from God, I really don't know what is, but I failed to even recognize the beauty of it in those moments. You know, you cannot fully live in the moment unless you are fully content in the moment. 
And the only way to be fully content in the moment is by the strength of Jesus Christ. It is not something that we do very well left to ourselves. My prayer for you this week is that whatever you do to celebrate Thanksgiving, your traditions, the moments that you have planned out, that everything goes exactly the way that you want it to. (laughs) But if it doesn't, I hope that you can praise the Lord and rejoice in Him. I hope that you can be thankful and experience that peace that He gives. And that I hope that you can look around and see all of the beauty and those things that are there for you to grasp in those moments that God has planned for you and for your family. Let's just stand and pray as we close the service today. Dear Jesus, Ah, we thank you so much for for all of the beauty that you put in this world and all of the things that there are to be thankful for. And, And Lord, as we go into the holidays, I pray that everybody has just an incredible time with their families. Lord, we give all the praise, all the glory, all the honor to you. May this be a blessed week, Lord. In your holy name we pray, amen. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Thank you so much for being here.